0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you are here, and the men, welcome to the room. Those of you that are live here today, uh, you can join us uh, if you are in and around the Birmingham area. Uh, Most every Wednesday, uh, very few exceptions, uh, we are here, and we go from noon Central Time to 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, Those of you that are watching us live on the YouTube channel, good to have you back with us again, Uh, or if you're watching on an archive. We're glad you're here. Those of you listening on the podcast archive, Thank you for making plans to, to grab this week's Bible study as well. We are continuing our walk through the book of Genesis. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, go to Genesis 17. Uh, today will be Genesis 17 uh, from themanchurch.com. Um, let, me, uh, let me update you on a few things that are going on. Of course, we, we have our, our latest uh, curriculum is already out, Be Disciples. That's the third one of the three. Uh, and our our Men's Discipleship Strategy, which you can find at themanchurch.com, uh, it's a combination of high challenge, that's men gathering together in groups for services, and then high quipping, and that's men going into small groups where they then go through these curriculum. We have 40-week curriculum, has me teaching 12 to 15 minutes, and then the facilitator of the group has a study guide that the men walk through. And I, I had a very, very unique um, opportunity, and so did uh, uh, three of our other speakers uh, that we did, uh, I think last week. I want to say there were, it was six man churches in five days or something like that. Uh, and, and we really got a lot of feedback. And, and, and through those man churches that we did, with one exception that, that is not doing the curriculum yet, uh, so the other five, the, the, the youngest uh, church that we went to had been doing the curriculum for 30 weeks. So this was a really good opportunity to go to churches that um, had been doing the the men's discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com for at least a year, uh, and are, are right at a year, and to get that feedback. And, and what we were he- what we kept hearing over and over again is the same thing that happened when we were working on it at my home church. And what we've discovered is that though the gatherings started being fewer men that were coming to the gatherings the ones who are still coming to the gatherings 90% of them are in the curriculum so the men who won't get in the curriculum they fade away we lose them just like we've all that was the problem with men's ministry is the lack of equipping or the lack of discipleship so we're seeing as god says that the discipleship is everything that, that's what holds the man in, in the strategy and grows the man from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. We certainly aren't against events, and, and we, we attend events, and at times you may see us actually doing an event from time to time. But what we can't do is keep relying on events only. They, they, they just lack on the equipping. Uh, so uh, so we, we, that was really, really confirmed. And I remember talking to one pastor where I think they had 48 guys come to a, a man church service. And he said, "Look, this may not be a big number to you, but what you don't understand of these forty-eight guys here, forty-six of them are in the curriculum. So the number to me as the pastor is I've gone from zero men to forty-eight men." And he said, "So for me, that's a huge increase, and uh, and so and that's and that's the that's the mentality of this strategy. Uh, what we're trying to do is provide something that really hasn't been provided uh, at any point." In, in men's ministry that I know of in my lifetime. Uh, but it's in scripture, so uh, so I think we're seeing that being confirmed. So if we can help you in any way, just contact us at themanchurch.com. We're at the point now we can give you all kinds of references from pastors and and uh, and men's uh, ministry uh, leaders that are saying this this has worked like like nothing else we've ever attempted. It solidifies an ongoing men's ministry that doesn't fade away. Um, and then the men can enter you know, through the small groups, or they can enter through a gathering, and then they get in the strategy, too. And so I, the one thing I said that we will we will start working on is those men that are concentrating on their own spiritual growth, which we celebrate, then the next thing you can do, like in year two, is say, now you guys start going out finding some new guys and bring them in. And there you can have growth the way the Bible intended growth to happen anyway. What? I'm a disciple, then I make a disciple, which is the way it's designed. Uh, that's what we're called to do, and that kind of growth actually solidifies. You may have what appears to be growth at a big event where you have a big, you know, mountaintop experience. But then I talked to one pastor. He said, I remember we did something one time and I heard him talking about this. And he said, we had like, you know, 50, 75 men that came forward in an event. He said, but I noticed throughout the next year that I probably baptized two of them. the other, where'd they go? Uh, so, so that, that's, that's what we're talking about. That, that's why there's got to be that equipping part. So uh, we, we love the services. They're part of it, and they're important part of it because it, it keeps us updated what's going on. It's giving that, us that challenge. But it's the curriculum, it's the equipping that is uh, you must have that part, and without it you're going to continue to be frustrated. Uh, so here's some uh, man churches going on. I'm looking forward to being at Enon Baptist Church in Morris, Alabama, I'm getting the opportunity to be there. They're already doing the strategy, so the next Man Church is coming up, and I'm honored to be their speaker. Then coming up on May 7th, Helmsy uh, from the Team Man Church is at West Mobile Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama. They're deep into the curriculum. This is their next Man Church, May 7th. Uh, and then if you go to you to see others, on the 11th, uh, Helmsy will be at Landmark Church in Montgomery, Alabama. They're doing the strategy. The 14th, uh, Wingo, they're doing the strategy. First Baptist Church, Crestview, Florida. Wingo will be there uh, for the next man church, uh, and then uh, that that pretty much wraps up May. I won't go any deeper than that because we want to get want to get into this study. But if you want to see June, July, August, any of them that have been solidified, because a lot of you asked me watching this Bible study, where can I find where it's going on? If my church is not doing it, where can I find it? The, these man churches will give you a good indication of churches that are doing it, and we're still working to try to get you a full list of everybody who's doing it, but we're over 450 now, and we're trying to find a way for you to be able to look at that in in, in a way that you can find the area you're looking for pretty quick. So keep praying for us on that, and keep praying for our app. You know, Men's ministry, if you get serious about it, you're going to get opposition. Our app is having some problems getting available to you, and there's some stuff going on in between us and you, so pray that God will remove that barrier. So that'll be another resource that you'll have available to you. So let's open up in a word of prayer. Let's jump right in to Genesis 17. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We submit to your authority. Uh, Help us to unpack your holy word today. Uh, Help us, Lord, to to apply this to ourselves today as we continue to look at this next big step uh, in biblical history that has affected us all. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right, so let's go to Genesis 17. We we know when when we left 16, uh, that we had what we call detours. Um, Sari and Abram decided they would work a plan of their own because they had grown impatient with God's promise of them, a son. And you start kind of justifying things, saying, well, if, a- if Abram's still the father, maybe I'm not supposed to be the mama. And we get Hagar in there, we get Ishmael. And, uh, and, and God comes back and corrects that and says no. And now he's going to double down on that uh, here in 17. Now, when we arrive here... Uh, Abram is 99 years old, as we will find out pretty quick. Uh, let's, something significant is happening uh, here, and you're going to really, really love this. And and one of the things happens right out of the gate. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 17. I'm I'm a teaching from the ESV. Uh, when Abram was 99 years old, uh, the Lord appeared to, to Abram and said to him, and this is big, I'd underline this, I am God Almighty. Walk before me, and be blameless. Verse two, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multitude multiply you greatly. So underline, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Now this this name of God is appearing now for the first time. You know we've been talking about Yahweh, the Lord God. Well, now this is another one of God's name, El Shaddai. Uh, this is going to appear now 48 times uh, in the Old Testament, and about eight or nine times you're going to see this name for God uh, in the New Testament. So why is God now saying, I want you to know another one of my names? I want you to know, Abram, that I am God Almighty. Uh, this is what I want you to know. And, and, and he's, what he's doing is he's coming back, because remember what's going on here, and we saw it painfully in, in last week's study, Abram and Sarai are wondering: Is this? When is this ever going to happen? Are you really going to do this? And so he's he's really now getting real personal with with his friend Abram, and and he's he's reminding him that he is all sufficient, that he is all powerful, and nothing is too hard for him. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. There, nothing is outside of my ability, and and he wants him to understand that that almighty God is going to deliver. Now, when he starts talking about the covenant in verse 2, I want you to be understand this, he's not talking about some new covenant. He's saying, remember, the, this is the same covenant. I just want to go over this with you again. And how many times is God loving enough to us to continue to remind us of stuff that, frankly, we should already know? You know, what do great teachers do? How do we learn? Repetition, repetition. We we have to be reminded. How many times have you had to be reminded of things you already knew? <laughs> I, I'm gonna bet that's probably happened to us this week. Got to be reminded of things I've already know. And so God is doing this. But I want to take on this one thing, where He says, "Walk before Me and be blameless." All right. So we we've heard we've heard this before. Job, we heard that he was blameless and he was upright right Remember that? Um, so what does blameless mean? Let me first of all be sure that we understand this perfectly as fallen people, okay Abraham, or he's about to be Abraham here quickly and I'll be so glad when we move to this. Abram is God is not telling Abram to be that, that he expects him to be sinless or this can't happen because Abram doesn't have the ability to be sinless. Okay, because of his, because, and we've already seen him. You're going to see him here in a minute. He, he, he makes mistakes. He's not a perfect man. Okay, one of the things that we try to emphasize in our second curriculum called real men these are flawed men, but God did wonderful things through them. What does he mean about now in this covenant? I want you to walk blameless before me. So, what does God mean if he doesn't mean sinless? You know, we, we hear this what uh, Jesus even teaching in the New Testament we must be perfect. As, as my father is perfect. what is? Well, we know that Jesus makes us fully righteous before God, but we can't make ourselves fully righteous. And we know that God's entering a covenant with Abram, and God's going to deliver his end with perfection. Abram's going to struggle in some areas. He's going to struggle again in this lesson this week. But what he's saying is, and this is the thing that that, that I, I had in my life when I was first redeemed. When I was redeemed, I remember one of the biggest things that I thought I don't know that this can ever take place, Lord. How do I get my integrity back? How will people ever look at me and say that's a man of God after all the horrible things that I've done? And 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 God says, "Look, we're through the sanctification process. I want you to walk blameless before me. I want you to be committed and obedient to me. And what I want you to do, I don't want you from this day forward. Now that you're no longer ignorant, remember our study of First Peter." Can't claim ignorance anymore. Now be holy in all your conduct. Of course, we all wish that. Said some of our conduct. It says all of our, all of your conduct. What he's saying is the, the, the now that you belong to me, I'm I'm going to do things in you that you can't do for yourself. But I want you to be all in. I want you to be obedient. I want you to be single-hearted. I want you to be devoted to me, so that you'll walk. Not in perfection on this side of glorification, but I want you to be a man of integrity. Don't do things that make make people doubt that you're in a covenant with me. Don't do things that make people think you don't belong to me, you don't believe in me. Don't make me look bad when I claim that you're my guy. So I want you to walk in a way that is not inconsistent to who I am and who you claim to be in me. That's what he's talking about. We all got that? So so what does that tell you? Jesus Christ has called us as his disciples to walk a life that is blameless. Don't walk in an inconsistent way. Uh, Some of the men that have done the very first curriculum that we do called the Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity, some have said the most difficult five weeks for them is, is when we do five weeks on integrity. You know why? Because we all struggle with integrity. You know, we, we can say things that 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 we're pretty good at, but actually living things is a much higher call. So he says, just remember what we've talked about and don't live in an inconsistent way that would make people think that you're not the man that I say you are and that I, I'm going to make you. Does that make sense? So it's, that is an important part, but I want you to understand, don't be confused that this call to blameless is a call to being sinless because it's not. But I do also want to understand; it is a high standard, and it does mean integrity. So now let's look at verses three and four. Then Abram, and this shows you that he is a man of integrity, and he is a man who fears God. In verse three, then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him. Before we get to that, this is see this is the why Abram is in this covenant. Look how many times up to this point when we start the story of Abram. That when, that when God comes to him and he's in the presence of God and God calls him to something, that he builds an altar to worship him. He gets on his face. Let me tell you what Abram has. He's not perfect, but let me tell you what he does have. He does have reverence for God. He would never be some man that would call God the big man upstairs. He would call him El Shaddai. He would call him Yahweh. He would not call him the big man upstairs. He has a reverence for God that, frankly, a lot of men don't have. You know, and, and we've talked about this for years. Why? Why do we, as men and and sometimes women, why do we dumb God down? Why won't we call him His real name? Because we're terrified of him. I was talking yesterday and had a great conversation on on the message that I just heard. You know, when 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 Moses goes up to Sinai, God is really inviting all of them to come into His presence. But when those people see His presence up on that mountain. They're so terrified, they basically tell Moses, you go, we don't want any of that. So when we really get in, brought into the presence of God, some of us go, I don't really want that. Big man upstairs is my preference. I don't want to deal with that. And that's why we're never, we never repent, because we're never in awe of him. What, what does the early church say in Acts? They were constantly in awe of God, which is really revival to be in awe of God. It, it is to tremble at the thought of sinning against a holy God, to take sin serious, to take his holiness serious. And so as soon as Abram hears God, he gets on his face before him. And that is an example we need to follow. And then God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, do you think that that God is tired of saying this? I mean, I mean, he, here he is; he is long suffering, isn't he? Aren't we glad of that? So, so once again, uh, you, you see God confirming the covenant, but now you're going to see him add some things here in a minute that, to this. But, but first, he, first of all, he's got to get to this name change. Keep in mind now: four rolls right into five. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And here comes, thank you, Lord, the name change. But look what he says right before that, because that's what the name's going to mean. Okay? No longer shall you be called Abram, which means exalted father. You're not going to be called that anymore. But your name shall be Abraham, which now means father of. Of multitudes. That's why he's coming back and saying, remember what I told you? Now we're getting ready. It's getting close now. The wait is almost over. I'm going to change your name. You're not just an exalted father. You're going to be Abraham, which means father of multitudes. Remember what my covenant was? I just repeated it again. Yeah, you said that I'd be a father of multitudes. I'd be father of nations. Right. So now I'm going to show you how serious I am about this. I'm going to change your name. Now I know that that none of us after we were redeemed like what we saw with with uh, th- this happening this was a pretty common thing. You know, we may not have literally got a new name when we were redeemed like you know I I didn't I maybe y'all did. I didn't have the Holy Spirit appear to me and say get down to the DMV. We got we got to get your driver's license changed. I mean you got you got to go find your birth certificate but but we did not literally Get a new name in English. Most of us here are, are English names, not all of us. But let me tell you what we were called to. We really did get a new name. Spiritually, we did. Behold, you are a what? New creation. You must be born again. So so here it is. You see the foreshadowing of this? He's basically saying you get a new name now in this covenant, and so do we. We get a new person. Praise God for that. I don't want any part of Ulrich. Old oh, Rick was problematic. I, if I could go change the name, I would. It sure would help me. I could probably get more people to forgive me if they forgot. Oh, you're not that guy? No, I got a different name now. You know, the, my, my old name is associated with so many bad things. That, that, that's that work on, on getting integrity. But what I want people to know is you're not dealing with the old Rick. You're dealing with Rick in Christ. Luke 9.23, deny yourself. That doesn't mean become a better version of yourself. It means old self dead. Deny that self. Dead. Now you follow me. You become part of me in Christ. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. So here is this very similar situation, a foreshadowing of that. God talking uh, to Abraham now. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That's literally what his name means now. And um Verse six. Now, verses six through eight, you're going to see God run through this again, and he's going to he's going to confirm everything the covenant um, will uh, entail. Verse six: I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Seven, and I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you, and to your offspring after you, verse 8, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, underline that, that's important, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God, underline that too. All right, so there's some things. He's re- he's going through the covenant again, but now he's getting real specific. I'm changing your name. This is all indications that it's coming soon. Okay, we're, you, know how, you know how you're sitting there. Let's talk about something you're waiting on for your flight to leave. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> and so you're sitting there, and you look around. There's nobody over at the booth. What does that mean? We ain't leaving anytime soon. But yet there's something up there that keeps saying that you will leave at some point. But then what happens when you look and people start scurrying? Somebody's come over to the booth. There's somebody else. Somebody's picking up the microphone. And what do you start thinking? Gather your stuff. It's getting close. We're about to get on the plane. Now you may find out that's not true when it comes to commercial flights. But but I will say this. In this case, Abraham is noticing, hey, God's adding some stuff now. He hasn't added before. He's changing my name. And then this is the first time God gets specific about what land God's talking about. He's now saying Canaan. That's a, new, that, that, that's, some, that's a new detail we, that Abraham hadn't gotten yet. And so, uh, so anyway, God's confirming this. He's clarifying that it will be Canaan. And then he also is clarifying this. And let me tell you something. The world today better never forget this. It's always going to be their land. They may, they may lose it here or there when they do what I tell them not to do here in a minute. But let me tell you, at the end of it all, this is going to be Israel's land, and God has said it, and that's the way it's going to be. And nobody's going to take it from them. And I would just say to the rest of the nations, if you're watching this, stop trying. You're not going to get it from them. Okay? that These are his people. He's dealing with them. They certainly have been given Messiah. Some believe it, some don't. But let me tell you what, this land is going to be theirs. And, and God has made that clear. There's a, and his deal is when it comes to his people, I'll deal with them. I'll discipline them. You may be allowed to attack them only if I allow it. But at the end of it all, this is what I gave them, and nobody's going to take it from them. And, though, and we need to be sure we understand that we're with them. They win. Okay? So, uh, so, so I, th- that decision needs to be made. And so he he's he's making that very very clear here and he says that uh, that it's a permanent possession as long as Yahweh he goes back to the other name as long as the Lord God remains your Lord God now what happens sometimes the people say we don't want you as our god and what happens they lose it and then 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 when they repent and they come back it's given back to them and and we see all this going on so just know when it, when it's all over, God has said this land belongs to you and it will be yours, and I will be God over it. Uh, so now we go to verses 9 through 14. Now this is where things here, you know, many times you don't know what God's going to require of you. And uh, I have said many times that I think men's ministry would be stronger if the first thing that men were told is long, when, they got, when they finally got to the point that they leave being boys and they're going into manhood, if they were told that Jesus Christ and the call to follow him is so extremely difficult, most men aren't man enough to do it. Now, this is not talking about me minimizing grace. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about because we are saved by grace through faith And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We should never minimize grace, but at the same time, we should never abuse grace. Okay? But when Jesus says, now that you've been redeemed, here's what it's going to look like to be my disciple. Most of us, if we were honest, it's too hard, and we we won't know part of it. We don't want any part of it. We're trying to find some way to still be okay with God, but we're trying to find some way for it not to cost us anything and it not be difficult. And that's just not true. And I think a lot of men turn away from the church because it, there's so much grace abuse that men think to themselves, "There's nothing to this." I, I guess if I if I say some prayer uh, and 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 God forgives me, uh, well then I, there's nothing I really need to do after that. Uh, there's no real call on my life and i guess i just go do whatever i want to and hopefully because i've, I've uh, you know god's gracious he'll forgive me at the end that's where you hear all this bad country music theology you know and it's hey buddy hey country music folks enough with the theology i mean you, you just stay keep your songs about lakes and 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 trucks and and dirt and tractors please stop trying to talk about heaven and stop talking about god because you get it wrong every time Okay, okay. No God, if you've gone out and lived a life of sin just because you're a good old boy, God's not going to let you in heaven anyway. Okay, no, we're not trying to raise a little hell in heaven. Okay, this kind of stuff's got to go. This is blasphemy. But but this, this this is what gets down to the to the problem of us not telling men the true call on their life. See, anybody that writes those kind of lyrics, they have no idea what a disciple of Jesus is going to be like. They don't They don't hear things like all who choose to live a godly life will be persecuted. They don't hear about deny self, like I said a minute ago. They don't hear about picking up crosses. They don't hear all the things that the disciples went through. You know why the disciples were able to persevere through all that? Because they're saying, this is so nothing compared to what God did for me through Jesus. This, this obedience he's called me to. Why do I look at this? How can we ever look at the cross and go, well, I hope he doesn't ask anything else? He went to the cross for us. My goodness, what does he want me to do? Like take that serious and have some sort of a obligation or gratitude? It's not an obligation to be redeemed. It's gratitude. If you love me, you obey my commands. I do love you. It's obvious that first you love me because I didn't love you before then. And really the only sin that we keep in our lives, not mistakes and you know bad moments, but the perpetual deliberate sins, they're only there because we still love those sins more than we love Jesus, which probably means we don't know Jesus well enough because once we do, you won't feel that way anymore, speaking from experience. So, uh, so anyway, now we get down to God says, now I'm, I'm going to go ahead and mark you, and we're going to have a sign of this covenant. It's a big moment here. Uh, Don't you know that Abraham's like, so what's that going to be? It's a doozy. Uh, But, uh, well, here we go. Uh, And God said to to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, and you and your offspring after you uh, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. What what did you say? <laughs> now keep in mind that, and ladies, I'm sorry, but this is in the Bible. Those of you that are watching this, and I, I promise you, in all seriousness, I, I, I'm gonna try not to be like men can be, and I, I'm the worst to be sophomoric about something this serious. But, but sometimes you have to. God does have a sense of humor, and or we wouldn't have one. But we want to use it correctly, and sometimes I get that right. Sometimes I don't. Uh, but here's the deal circumcision, the reason why you don't see God explaining and what I mean by that, this was not something that they weren't familiar with. Okay, circumcision was around. It just wasn't part of any kind of covenant. Uh, the ancient uh, uh, Near East, uh, they, they practiced this like it would be a rite of passage to manhood. And the, and, and, and the men in, the, in this part of the world, they were familiar with this. And uh, and and a lot of times, and, and now this is something to hang on to, especially what's about to happen with Abraham. Another ritual it would be for for men who are about to get married, and what they would do is they would they would be circumcised as a marriage ritual, meaning that you're now going to be able to father children. This is a sign you're ready to father children. So when circumcision is brought up, it's not like Abraham's like, "No, what are you talking about?" Uh, he knows exactly what what what, what, what this means now. You certainly would prefer this not to be at ninety-nine years old. Uh, you, you know, you you would prefer this to be. Uh, uh, you know, I was a baby; I don't remember it. You know, because if you if it's done to you when you're not a baby, you're gonna remember it. And uh, and you know, we um. So here's here's what happens. We're gonna talk about why this is important. Okay. So, uh, and and what 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 was going on here? Uh, so he says this. He says this is my covenant. You, uh, 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generation, whether born in your house or bought with your money, that would be slaves, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. 13. But he who is born in your house and he who is brought, or bought with money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Wow, he's taking it serious. So this is really serious. So there were four things that apply. Let's, let's look what he just told Abraham, why circumcision was going to take place. Every one of your males, born or slave, I won't circumcise. Right? That's clear. It is going to be a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham, and we'll unpack that a little bit here in a minute. It's going to be a permanent covenant. Number three, circumcision on the eighth day of life is to be observed throughout the generations. Yeah, This first bunch that has to do it, they're like, wow, if you could have been on the second bunch, uh, that, that this was going to happen on their eighth day of life versus those of us that are here now, who are, are grown men, uh, but it's got to start somewhere. And, uh, and so, but going forward to the generations, it's going to be done on the eighth day. Now, what's the significance of the number of the number eight? Does anybody know this? It's, 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 the, it's the number of new beginnings. See, this is a covenant. That's God's number of new beginnings. The number eight is the number of new beginnings. So So this is going to be a sign of this ongoing covenant. Now, we have to be very careful, very careful. Watch out when it comes to this kind of stuff. There came a, a, a correction that Paul had to make. If you remember, down through the generations, we they started believing incorrectly that this was salvation. If you circumcised a baby on eighth day, they're saved, and and as long as you're circumcised, you're saved. That's incorrect. That this this, this this you know, and this happens a lot of times. Even in the church, we think some sort of ritual. As long as you do this some sort of ritual, uh, then you you have been redeemed. Even though the Bible clearly says that someone is only redeemed, when they repent, they repent in their heart. They turn from sin, turn to God. They believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. They leave faith in themselves, put faith in Christ, and they believe that Christ was raised from the third day by the Father. Then Scripture tells us, then you shall be saved. And yes, then we should be baptized. Uh, to 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 tell the world what Christ has done in our lives but you can take a baby all day long and throw water on it or circumcise it and it's not saved not if it gets to the age of accountability where where, where there now there's an there is the ability to repent and 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 so we, we we don't come up with a ritual that saves us nor was this what this is what this is a sign of the covenant this is us committing uh, the, the the people of God, Israel, committing that they this is part of the covenant. Now now why why circumcision? Well, let me get to four first of all. Um, on four, if a male is not circumcised, he will be cut off from his people, since he's broken the covenant. So these four things God lays out himself, and you you, you know what you think circumcision is pretty important. Uh, we better do this exactly the way God said to do it, which is what He's looking for. But but don't miss this. This, this the, Even though circumcision had existed in some of the other cultures, and these men knew about it, and they knew why these other people did it, what's unique in, in the circumcision of the covenant is this eighth-day thing. That had never been done before. Nobody had ever seen that before. That was brand new. So what he's saying is, on the eighth day, I want these males to be circumcised. So it, it's not preparing men to, be, to father children because we're talking about babies here. So that's what the other cultures did. So it's not about that. But it is to emphasize God's covenant that promised what? The ability to produce many offspring and and for Israel to be fertile. It is a sign of that. And, And also because there's a sexual purity that all the men of God are called to, there's a mark on this part of a man, I'll say it this way, that is also showing submission to the standard of sexual purity. We're separated. We're not like the pagans. We're not like the rest of the world. We as men of God have been marked, and we have been called out from the rest of the world, and we are different. That's what this is all about. And uh, and, and so uh, even even the infant male... Of course, is promised many descendants to come. Ultimately, this will be used as a reminder uh, of what what's to come, the future redemption. Because remember what Paul said: under the new covenant, you you got to have your heart circumcised. You know, if you think that you know, just because you've got to, you know. Some physical circumcision, you're 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 saved, and anybody who gets saved's got to be circumcised. And no, no, this, this was all about the old covenant and the coming of the new covenant, but now that it's here, circumcision has nothing to do with whether you are redeemed or not. Now your heart is to be circumcised by the Holy Spirit and changed and marked for God. Remember this, Paul had to go on and on about this. Remember, it was a big problem in the church. You remember this? There was a huge division in the church because the, the, the Jewish people who had acknowledged Christ as Messiah and the Gentiles came in, they said, they're not circumcised. You remember this big argument? And we had to have the big meeting. You remember the big meeting? And nobody could get it worked out, and they sent for James, who apparently, when he, you don't want to hear he's coming, apparently, because it says, you know, in the, in the Jerusalem council in the book of Acts, John couldn't get it done. Peter, who's pretty hard-nosed, he couldn't get it done. So they send for James, and when James shows up, Luke says no one opposed him. And he basically walked in and said, I'm done with this circumcision thing. We're going to get this resolved right now. And he walks in and he says, the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, okay? And those of you that are circumcised, let me tell you what, you, you, you need to quit talking about this. Now to you Gentiles, this pagan stuff's over. Y'all clinging to some of this pagan stuff. Y'all clinging to this circumcision. Y'all got all this wrong. We're going to get under the authority of Christ as one church. And apparently James was very good as the foreman because they said at that point the church says, "Well, okay, we're sorry, we're done with that." Nobody opposed him. We need more James, don't we? And uh, so he got that worked out. So remember, this is going to be a we're going to have to get this clarified in the new covenant. But I want us to understand first, so we understand that. Why it was originally done. Everybody, follow me? Everybody, good? All right. So, now, now, so we've gone through this that, that this is now being a sign that the, that the men of God uh, and, and, and that the God's people are separated under his authority. And this will be a sign of that and the promise of uh, the ability to produce and be fruitful, multiple, multiple, multiple uh, children. So now in in verses 15 and 16 God's going to come going to move off Abraham and we're going over to Sarah, okay? Now we're going to talk to Sarah, okay? So God goes over in 15 and he and God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. Why is that? All right. Let's talk about that for a minute. We we know that Sarah and Sarah both have a, have a, a meaning that, that, is, that says princess, even when she was Sari, that was still a version of being called princess. But Sarah is still princess, but it's a different kind of princess. Sarah means that, yes, she's still called a princess, but it's a princess who will be the mother queen of many nations. And, and so that's significant. She's not just a princess that may or may not have this authority under Sari. Under Sarah, it's significant because she'll take the honor of mother of nations and kings. And look at this. It's so serious. Look what God himself says in 16. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And look what he says again. I will bless her, and she shall become nations and kings of people that shall come from her. God Almighty says to Abraham's wife, I'll bless her, I'll bless her. May we pray that for our wives. So God is saying about my wife twice, making sure I understand that he's going to bless her. I will bless her, and I will bless her. Thank you, Lord. May may we pray this for our wives, that they will hear from God, that they are being blessed by our obedience as husband and wife, To him, this brings a blessing from God, not once but twice, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. And what is Abraham's response to this? Here he goes again. Then Abraham fell on his face, but then comes a mistake and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child born to a man who is a hundred thousand? years old shall sarah who is 90 years old bear a child see there that shows you just a man god must be exhausted with the reassurance of this he laughs about it and that take that takes a dark turn because he goes on his face to hear this that his wife's going to be blessed and then it dawns on him what god is saying See, this is what God was really waiting on, on his delay here. We all talk about how barren Sarah is. Guys, you know what Abraham's saying here. Hey, you've let me get 99 years old. I can't get this done. (laughs) Not only does Sarah need a miracle now, I got to have one. How do you expect me to get this done? My, my era of being able to do this on my own is over. And, they, hey, we, we didn't have drugs back in those days, okay? So Abraham couldn't just call his pharmacist and say, my doctor's calling something in. God's asked me to do something I don't have the ability to do anymore, and i got to have some help. What he's saying is I'm going to have to have help from God because there ain't no pharmacy going to be able to help me. That's what he's laughing about. Because he's thinking to himself, I know how children are born. Not only can Sarah apparently not pull that off, I can't pull that off anymore. And uh, and and that this is what God is waiting on. Because what this is going to be something that only God can do. And and I want you to tell you something. Even though we are being lied about this for the moment, what Abraham is laughing about really, really is 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 not good. He's he's doubting God. After all of this, and so many times, I think we hear what what God is calling us to, and we think to ourselves, "You must be calling somebody else." You do not do you not know how old I am? Hey, you know there was a time, God. If you called me this man, I could have done it easily. Yeah, that's why I didn't call you then. Because what what what's the deal? I had it in my own life. Your biggest problem, Rick, is yourself. What what I have a problem with is you seem to want to do things that you could easily do without me. What I can't get you to do is to be all in on something that only I can do. I can't get you to get to that kind of faith. You know, if, if I do something that was easy that I could have done without God, you know, like like the the horrible misinterpretation of what Paul's saying in, in one of his letters to the church at Corinth. And these and these people keep saying it, and we've talked about it in Bible studies past. You know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. That is not what scripture says. Paul is telling people to quit making excuses about sin, as if the temptation was too strong, and there was nothing they could do. It just there was no way they could keep from sinning because the temptation was just too strong. And then Paul comes and says, There is no temptation so strong that God can't deliver you from it. He's not talking about things, because if all we ever got were things that we could handle, why would we need God? If it's not more than I can handle, then I don't need God. So that's not what the Bible says. And here, Abraham's laughing because and he's thinking, that's impossible, and it is, as far as Abraham's concerned and Sarah's concerned. But then this is when Abraham kind of goes ugly here. 18, and Abraham says to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Just do it with Ishmael. You can do that. I've already got one, son. i I got one here. Just use him. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? But don't we do the same thing? How many times does God find us unfaithful again and go, how many more times have I got to show myself to you? I can tell you, I've let him down many times. After his resume is so good, I don't know where I was getting my, my problems from. But God said quickly, look at 19, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Well, I'm not, no, listen, look, this is big right here. What does the name Isaac mean? He who laughed. Oh, you think that's funny, Abraham? No, I'm gonna produce a, a a son for you like I've been saying with Sarah, not with Hagar, you've already messed that up, with Sarah, and you know what? You down there laughing as you are you lay prostrate in front of me, his name's gonna be Isaac, because I want you to remember that you laughed at me and I did it. You laughed at me and I did it. And and so he's he wants because you think every time Abraham called his son he didn't remember. I laughed at God, and there he is. There, I mean, there's my son. I have to call his name, he who laughed. That is just, that's, a, that's cool. And then God says, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then God, showing compassion. We serve a gracious God. Can anybody say thank you for that? He says, as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. All right, let's 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 before we move to the big butt coming up in 21. So God hears what Abraham said. And God is so gracious because you know what he says. This is big. For all of us who may have had children, then in all these situations, you know what God says: I understand a father's love for his son. I understand it. I understand you messed up. I understand a son has been produced from this, but I'm not heartless. Okay, I'm going to tell you the good news first, and I'm going to tell you the bad news, or the or the more difficult news. It's still good news, but it's more difficult. I'm gonna take care of Ishmael, okay? He's gonna be blessed, and 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 I'm gonna he's gonna be fruitful. He's gonna he's gonna produce twelve princes that'll be twelve nations, and tribal leaders, and he too will become a great nation. So that's God saying, "I hear you, I understand. I'm I'm gracious. I know you love your boy. I got it." even though it was produced in a way that I don't approve of and I did not endorse, I know you love your son, and I'm going to take care of him. But, look at 21, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time. Now he's getting specific, next year. So remember this. We may make mistakes, and we may be forgiven. But God still comes back to say, but that wasn't my standard. Okay? I can speak to this. I've made sin against God's standard for marriage, and there's there's prices I pay for that. And God says, I love all your kids. I love you. But... Some of the difficulty you're dealing with is because you didn't do it my way. I told you how to do it, and you didn't do it. I'm not I'm not going to abandon you. I'm showing you great mercy, and I love you, and I love your kids, and I know you love them. But there's a way I said to do it. And these difficulties you have is because you didn't do it. But at the end... It's all going to be fine, and I hope that everybody comes under redemption and everybody is together, but my covenant, Abraham, was with Isaac, and I told you that, and I told you that Sarah was going to be the mother of the covenant, not Hagar, and I told you that. So the covenant, Ishmael's going to be taken care of, but he's not the covenant. The covenant is Isaac and you're going to have him this time next year. What a moment. How many times how many times has God had to tell us listen to this this was this is a big takeaway for me. Stop clinging to the past. When I stand here offering you a bright future. But write that down. Stop clinging to the past of when you were disobedient and you were in sin, stop clinging to the past, especially when I'm offering you a bright future. What bright future are you talking about for us, Rick? Redemption. A new life. To be made fully righteous. Stop clinging to the past. And that's what he is telling him. This covenant with Isaac will be permanent. It is with Isaac. It is not with Ishmael. And you know what he says in 22? You know who the originator of dropping the mic was? The one and only living God. Look 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 at 22. When he had finished talking with God, with him, God went up from Abraham. I'm out. I got nothing else to say. That literally, when you look at the Hebrew here, it means that God left, left the, he, he, he's, he's not going to supervise Abraham carrying out what he's about to do next. I've told you what to do. I expect you to do it. I got no more to say on this. He ever done that to you? I got no more to say on this. But you know what? Abraham does what next? Complete obedience. Complete obedience. He didn't have to be supervised. Do you have to be supervised? You ever been around those people? My brother taught me this. I'd never heard this before. He said, Two people I don't like working for me. People that don't do what they're told, and people who won't do who won't do anything until they're told. I like people of action that are just obedient and do what they're supposed to do and I don't want to have to lord over you and supervise you the whole time. If I tell you to go do something, then go do it. I don't like people who won't do what they're told, and I don't like people who won't do anything until they're told. Why do I have to stand here and make sure you finish this? I mean, did we are we really not clear on what God's called us to do? Seriously, are we still waiting, don't understand it, nobody's told us? The, I don't think anybody in this room, I, I bet very few of you, some of you may have found this, and you're new to the faith, and we certainly want to, are you are you kicking the tires on the faith? I'll help you with this stuff if you don't know it, because I needed people to help me with it. But I'm telling you, looking around this room in here, there ain't nobody in here that doesn't know what God's told you to do. And I think God keeps saying, do I have to keep supervising this? Just go do it. Right? What, what, what was it in the beginning when started studying the Bible the the great thing that was always said and that, and I can't remember who gets credit with this I've heard people throw in Mark Twain and other I don't know who said it but uh, and and nobody really knows because I really researched it because I'm the kind of person I kind of want to know that I'm tired of saying I don't know who said that but apparently nobody knows and that was it's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that concern me it's the things I do understand <laughs> the deeper stuff's important but i I really could spend all my time trying to be sure I'm obedient to the things that I perfectly understand. I remember you using that the Bible's complicated, uh, and it can be, but I remember use, using that as an excuse not to know anything. Yeah, there's some things that uh, until we get in his presence, I don't know that I'll fully, with my finite, finite brain, fully grasp. I don't fully grasp the Trinity, but I believe it. I believe it. So then let's look at 23 through 27, and this is pretty straightforward, and we're, and we're about to wrap up. Abraham does exactly what he was told, and here are the details. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he, cir- house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins. That Underline this. This is big that very day underline that so he didn't go yeah i know god told me to do something and at some point i'll eventually get there i remember going taking that attitude and man the holy spirit pressed on me finally god saying how much longer how much longer will you keep kicking this can down the road and not do what i've called you to do well i'm going to do it someday at some point, I'm going to address this sin in my life. At some point, I'm going to answer that call that God's called me to. At some point, I'm going to take these scriptures that I know, and I'm actually going to apply them. Remember what I said? Remember we talked about this? I've talked about this at some of our gatherings. Just not today. And let me warn you, and I've said that in here. I'll stand before God. And he goes, I'll tell you one thing, I'm not upset with you for not telling people that because you sure did several times speaking from experience, and praise God, it finally stopped. You can just not today yourself right into hell. You can believe all the right things in the world, and if you don't act on them, you never repent, you never submit, and you go, yeah, I know I need to. I just don't want to. But maybe one day I'll want to, and I will do this, just not today. I'd be real careful with that kind of delay, because before you know it, that just not today they turn into day, weeks, months, years, and all of a sudden, two things—one or two things—happen. That trumpet sounds. He's back. Oh, that really. So I, I always said I believed that was going to happen. Is he calling the church to himself today? It's on. Or you think you're going to leave here and have another day, and you're going to be dead here in a few minutes. And you cannot just, not today, yourself right into hell. So what we hear is that, that Abraham took care of this that very day, and I love this, as God had said to him, May that be our example. 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. What a man in the flesh of his foreskin. 25, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And 26, here's that line again, underlined again. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, we circumcised with him. You See how God keeps doing that repeat? Why is he doing that repeat? That's exactly what God said to do. And if you didn't get it the first time, let me repeat it again. This very day. Wow, what a lesson. A lot to unpack. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for this opportunity to still have a chance to to take to address the things in our life that need to be addressed this very day if I can help you in any way uh, Rick at Burgessministries.com if you're watching this or listening to this or you're a man here in the room you got things uh, on your heart that you need to deal with I'm, I'm available to you and uh, just want to thank all of you for joining us today thank you Chris for your hard work talking about Chris Adler just working so hard to be sure these very important Bible studies are always made available to us. I appreciate your work, brother. God, may your hand be upon him and all those that have been committed to this, this, this many years. Thank you for the growth that we've seen in our own lives and continue, Lord, to see. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. May our obedience be the proof of our thankfulness. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us.